the original human sin. Who knows what the original human sin was? The first one. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. I know we've talked about this before, but we're going to talk about it again. Acts chapter 15, verse 18. Acts chapter 15, verse 18. I'm not going to go super fast because I would like you guys to try to understand it. So I'm going to try to not go too fast, but we'll get through what we can get through. Acts chapter 15, verse 18 says, Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. So you know that God has done some things. And God knew about what he was going to do from the beginning of the world. All of his works. Um, He knew about those that he was going to heal. Right? He knew about every situation. All the works that he's done. And I'm sure a lot of us can say, I know that God has done a work in my life. And this, you can, you can say that there was a miracle that happened, right? Anybody can say that there was a miracle, you can testify to some miracles in your life? God did that. Known unto God are all his works, all of them from the beginning of the world. He knows them all. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, this is the key verse for this Bible study. And it says, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So, think about this. If the love of money is the root of all evil, the first human sin was as full of evil as any other sin. That first one. So, the love of money was the root of Adam's sin. The love of money. So, how does the love of money relate to the first human sin? Have you guys thought about it? How does the love of money relate to the first human sin? We've talked about it before, right? The one, uh, a sister? Lisa? Yeah. Okay, Lisa Dupuy. Sister Lisa? Yeah, exactly. So we're going to try to explain this. I, want, I don't want to go too fast. I want you guys to kind of grasp this. How is the love of money, right, the root of the original sin? Because it says the love of money is the root of all evil. Okay? So... <clears throat> We're going to have to go a little bit back and look at this from Genesis. So after God made Adam and the rest of the stuff on the sixth day, he saw everything that he had made. Now, if you look at Genesis chapter 1, you're going to see that everything that God had made after the first day, 
What's it say? Somebody read the very last verse of Genesis chapter 1. The very last verse. What's that? Very good. It was very good. It was very good. But now look at, so it was very good at the end of the sixth day. Is that right? He be, read that again, Rosette, the last verse. God saw everything that he had made. Go ahead. And behold, it was very good. God knows all his works from the beginning of the world. He knows them, right? And everything that God does is good. So why do we have in Genesis chapter 2 a mention of something that was not good? What was it that was not good? Did God create something that was not good. No, he did not. So let's, let's look at that. Uh, so Adam, he names all the animals. And God said, it is not good that man should be alone. But wait a second. At the end of the sixth day, there was... God said he saw everything that he had made and it was good. It was really good. Hey, Isabella. <laughs> yep, go to Connie. She's going to save you. Connie will save you. I'm wondering if, should we close that door? Joe, can you close that door, please? God saw everything that he had made. It was very good at the end of chapter 1. And then we see in chapter 2 something that was not good. Now, it is not good. Genesis chapter 2, verse 19. Somebody read that. Genesis 2, verse 19. Okay, so in Genesis chapter 2, the, there is a parenthetical that takes place. Because if you look at Genesis chapter 1, you will understand that God made the animals first. Genesis chapter 1 actually puts the order. In Genesis chapter 2, if you're not careful, you might... Caleb! Caleb! Hey, Caleb! Everybody in the whole world could hear you because you're on the World Wide Web. <laughs> well, only, I guess only the people that are our friends. Okay, so Genesis 2 verse 19 refers back to Genesis 1, 24 and 25 and tells us what happened to cause God to decide to make and help meet for Adam in Genesis 2, 21 and 22. It is the explanation for Genesis 2.18. So what happened was, 
Adam was created after the animals. Adam was to name all the animals. And he got to name them all. And something somewhere during that, in that time, God saw something that was not good. He said it's not good, right? So what happened there? What happened to change things from very good to not good? Did God ever do something that was not good? Caleb, did God do something that was not good? No, he doesn't, huh? He never did. That's amazing, right? So how alone really was Adam in the garden? Because it is not good that man should be alone. The question is, how alone was he really? Anybody? How alone was he really? He wasn't alone. Adam was not alone in the garden before Eve was created. Okay? So, the Lord God Almighty was his companion. So, who was looking for an help meet for Adam? Was God looking for an help meet? Was he looking for one? No. Because God knows all his works. He knew that he was going to create Eve. And he, I believe he would have created Eve in the right time. But sometimes, see, Adam didn't learn how to have fulfillment in his relationship with God. He was looking for fulfillment outside of his relationship for, with God. I think that God would have provided Eve in God's timing because he had a plan from the beginning. Was it the one who wants to be our all in all or was it the man that wanted the help meet? It was Adam who was looking for the help meet. Hey, Caleb, you want to sit, sit up here with me and help me teach? You want to help me? Come on. Come on up here, buddy. Right here. You're looking sharp today. Man, that's an awesome outfit. I love those colors. Come on up here. You're looking better than me. Can I have those pants? No? I can't. Can I have that shirt? No? Okay. Say hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Say God is good. God is good. All right. That's awesome, huh? What do you think about all these notes? What do you see here? Do you see any colors? What color? What color is that? Highlighted in yellow. That's pretty good, huh? I appreciate you helping me. Now everyone's going to want to pay attention because Caleb's here. Say amen. Amen. <laughs> Do you love Melissa? Say I love Melissa. 
<laughs> That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Do you love Elijah too? He's your big brother. Is he nice to you? All the time? Oh, that's good. <laughs> so you're not supposed to lie in church. <laughs> okay. So, um, what is money? Here's a question. What's money? Do you know what money is? Quarter. Quarter. Yeah, that's money. A dollar. That's money. That's right. Um, money, by definition, it's a concept of economics. It's a medium of exchange. Uh, it's a means of obtaining things that are not otherwise provided. A means of obtaining things that are not otherwise provided. How many of you think that there's probably some things that you wish you had that you don't have? Yeah, me too. <laughs> right? So money, you know, we go to work and we earn money, and we can then hopefully maybe turn around and buy something. You like to buy things? What's your favorite thing to buy? Candy? Do you love candy? People can't hear you when you shake your head. You have to say yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So um, now listen, you have heard people say that, has anyone ever heard anyone say that money is evil? The Bible says money is evil. Has anyone ever heard people say that? Well, the Bible doesn't say that. And then has anybody ever heard say the love of money, right? Well, the Bible, it's not even that. The love of money is the what? It's the root of all evil. It's not the evil itself. So think about it. The love of money is the root of all evil. It is not evil itself. It's the root of evil. Now, there's probably each and every one of us have desired something, right, that we didn't have. And probably some of those things that we desired, we probably thought, realized we probably couldn't get those things or probably couldn't have those things. But what some people have done in order to get some of the things they desire is they do wicked and evil things to get what they want, to get what they desire. And that's the evil. Okay? What will you do with your unprovided for desires? You have desires. There's some things you'd like to have. But what will you do with those desires? So the love of money is not the evil itself, but it's the root of all evil. So all the evil in the world, it stemmed from somebody who had a desire to have something they didn't have. And the means by which they went to, to get that thing, whatever that thing is, right? So the love of money speaks of the desire and effort to find fulfillment apart from God. There are some people that think they can find fulfillment apart from God. The sooner you learn that 
the true fulfillment will not come outside of God, the better off you will be. You will spend your life being miserable if you are looking for fulfillment in other things, in people, a husband, a wife, children, boyfriend, girlfriend, that, that they are not intended to provide what only God can provide. Okay? So it's important to understand that just as the root is not the fruit of the plant, it is the root, it is the support structure, the facilitator, but it is not in and of itself the evil. Like other natural desires, the desire to obtain that which has not been provided has been built into us as human beings. Even the affection for the ability to obtain what has been missing from our lives is natural, and that in itself is not inherently evil. It is what a man does with that desire. That's what is the evil. What a man does with that desire and affection that can be evil. In Adam's case, the love of money points to his desiring and seeking fulfillment through a companion other than his creator. You know God can give you fulfillment that you can't get from anybody else and nothing else in this world. It is a fact that within the limitations of your experience, it seems like God has not provided for you everything you need. Do you guys believe that? It seems like God hasn't provided. And maybe there's some things that you need that you don't quite yet have. And maybe God will provide them, but in his timing. Um, <clears throat> if you have the right relationship with God, you have him, and he is everything you will ever need. You've got to have that right relationship with God, Caleb. Have you been praying every day? No. Have you been reading your Bible every day? Have you been? <laughs> you probably should be doing those things. Wait, do you know how to read yet? Okay. All right. Maybe have your mommy read to you. You just read what now? One letter at a time? Awesome. That's pretty cool, huh? Pretty soon, before you know it, you'll be able to read full sentences. That would be awesome. So um, the timing of those things that we think that God hasn't provided for us that we really do need will be according to his omniscience rather than our omniscience because we don't have omniscience. Uh, the Bible does say in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, that godliness with contentment is, what's the, what does it say? It's what? Great gain. There's things you don't have, maybe, that you think that you need, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Amen? Amen. What if your mommy and daddy doesn't, you want candy and they won't give it to you? Are you upset at them? Oh, yeah, for sure. I appreciate how you're telling the truth. Do you always tell the truth? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Are those fingers pretty good? 
Can I try them? You're sucking on them. I'm just wondering if they're tasty. Can I taste it? Okay. All right. <clears throat> so we need uh, to understand that the Lord is our shepherd, and we shall not lack anything important to our survival and our productivity. We know that from Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 tells us that uh, whatsoever state we find ourselves, we, there, we should be content. Whatsoever state, wherever you're at in your walk with the Lord. And sometimes you don't have much. But guess what? The children of Israel going through the wilderness didn't have much. But it says in Deuteronomy 8.3, And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord, right? That's something that's important to know. And sometimes there's things we don't have, and sometimes there's things we think we need, but um, it's all going to be according to his timing. And then there's another scripture, Philippians 4.19, that lets us know that God shall supply all our need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So we need to eliminate covetousness from our lifestyles. Do you covet things? The Bible says thou shalt not covet. Yeah, so it says don't do that. So. <laughs> hmm. So, we need to be content with the things that God has provided for us uh, because we know he has promised never to leave us or forsake us according to Hebrews 13, 5 and also 1 Timothy 6, verse 8. So, one of the great facts of our Christian life is that our God has promised to make us all that we should be, the best that we can be, and will make all things, even times we go without. You know those times that you don't have? Those times that you lack things? Um, <clears throat> even times we go without what we most strongly desire. He's able to make all those times work together for our good. Isn't that amazing? It's not amazing. I'm amazed by it. I'm amazed, Caleb. How old are you? Are you three? You're three? Is he three? Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm three. Are you like your mom or you're like your dad? Neither one. <laughs> you're just like Caleb. How about Caleb in the Bible? Uh, yeah, no, not quite like him either, right? So, um, <clears throat> we must turn our desire to obtain the things we want and do not yet have. Think about, there's things you want, right? There's things you don't have. You have a desire for them. We've got to turn those desires, right, into a pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So, think of the things you don't have. Think of the things that you would like to have and you don't have it. Change that desire into a pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the source of everything good. 
Every good and perfect gift is from above. So loving the ability to obtain what God has not yet provided is, is what leads us into investigating ways that ability can be used to bring self-satisfaction. So the love of money is the root of all evil. It will lead us to doing things which take us out of God's plan and things that take us out of his purpose for our lives. So be careful. You could want something so desperately and you go after it, but maybe, it, what, maybe God wanted you to have that, but just not now. Maybe his timing is not just yet. And so we need to turn those into pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Say amen loud. That's pretty loud. That wasn't your loudest. I think you could go louder. Amen. Amen. Hey, that's pretty good. You're getting better. <laughs> Do you want to be a preacher someday? Hmm. How come? You get to stand with a microphone and tell people about Jesus. <laughs> I guess not. Maybe the Lord will change his heart. You, you never know. So Romans 5 makes it very clear that the first human sin was committed by a woman, right? Oh, whoops, I misread that. By a man. It was a man that, create, that had committed the first sin. And everyone's been blaming the woman for all these years. But it was the man. So it says, for as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, right? Romans 5 lets us know. It puts the blame on Adam, not on Eve. Uh, the first sin was Adam's looking for fulfillment apart from his creator. The love of money is the same thing as desiring to find fulfillment apart from the provider. You know, it's like when uh, my wife makes a meal, Provides it for the children. They say, I'm just going to go get something from McDonald's. I think I'll just have a sandwich tonight. <clears throat> hint, hint. That's, that happened earlier. <laughs> um, but the Lord does provide some things for us. And you know that every good and perfect gift is from him. We may want something different. We may want some meat, some quail. Instead of that old manna, or that manna we got sick of. Have you ever had manna, Elijah? Yeah. So that's the original human sin. So that the love of money is the root of all evil. Seeking fulfillment apart from God was Lucifer's sin. It was also Adam's sin. It was also the transgression of the woman. And it is the root of all evil. Men think they can find fulfillment in a woman. They cannot. Women believe they can find fulfillment in a husband or in children, and they cannot. I said this before. My wife got mad at me. <laughs> but 
children become convinced that they can find fulfillment in things or in getting their own way, but they cannot. Fulfillment can only be found in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Uh, we, now listen to this. This, this is going to sound, Caleb, what are you doing? You have to be my, everyone has to look at you right here. You, if they wave at you, you can wave too. You can wave. So, so the problem with, uh, so we don't, we don't need a help meet. We only need the Lord. This is why some men can receive the gift of celibacy according to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. And they can be fulfilled without a wife. The problem with an helpmeet is that there are substitutes which will do as well. Helpmeets, guys. So, an helpmeet can never be the helpmeet. There are also other helpmeets which men pursue in their attempt to find fulfillment apart from God. Some look for it in other women drugs, work, whatever. Men do not need an help me. They need their creator. No one will find fulfillment anywhere else. The sooner you can learn that, the better off you will be. They will not find it in anything else or in anyone else. He alone can supply what we require to be all that we can be. It's in him. It's all in him. His understanding of this may be the real reason that David was so beloved of God. Listen to the, some of these scriptures. I'm going to read in Psalms. Psalm 27, verse 9. The psalmist writes, Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. I wish people could understand this. I wish people could really begin to look to the Lord as the help meet. In Psalm 40, verse 17, But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God, looking to him as your help. Psalm 63, verse 7, Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. He has been my help. Psalm 70, verse 5. But I am poor and needy. Make haste unto me, O God. Thou art my help and my deliverer. O Lord, make no tarrying. Psalm 71, verse 12. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste for my help. Psalm 94, verse 17 says, Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul had almost dwelt in silence. Psalm 121, verse 1 and verse 2 says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from which or from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Psalm 10, verse 4, the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. Through the pride of his countenance, he will not seek after God. 
God is not in all his thoughts. Not in all his thoughts. Romans 3 verse 11. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. So, this presents one complication which may still require some investigation. Would woman ever have been made if Adam had not looked for an help meet apart from God? Yes? Scripture indicated that it was God's original purpose to make man male and female. But women's role would have been different had Adam not turned his eyes away from God. She may not have been just relegated to the helper role, nor to the subject position in the same way. She may have been to Adam from the beginning the same that the church will be to Jesus Christ when he has concluded the redemption program. And we see that in Ephesians 1, and 23. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The church, when his redemption is completed, is called the fullness of him that filleth all in all. That sounds better than in help me, doesn't it? Caleb, you're supposed to be my statue. You're supposed to like get people's attention up here, not back there. Like so, like you have to get their attention, get them all looking this way. You have, like if you see him looking in the back, try to get their attention. Give them a job. <laughs> I love it. You're doing a good job, Caleb. So, um, the church will sit on the throne as the body of Jesus Christ. They will not be kneeling at his feet as subjects. And this is why God's instruction to husbands is so powerful. Um, it makes the wives more than help meets. Ephesians 5, 25 through 33. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. Hey, you got to wave at your sister, Isabella. You got to wave at her. Say, Isabella, pay attention. I'm up here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Ephesians 5, 25. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members. And I, I looked at that. I looked at this one day. Somebody was telling me that women are nourishers or men are not nourishers. And I thought, well, there's that word nourisheth and cherisheth it that man is supposed to do here in Ephesians chapter 5. So then I started thinking, I'm really supposed to be a nourisher, right? 
nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. So the Lord cherishes and nourishes the church, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Um, Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. There's a way that your prayers could be hindered. If you're a man that um, is not living with your wife according to knowledge. Amen? Okay. However, um, there's only one way for a man to become what God has intended. And there's only one way for women to become what God intended. So we must look to the perfecting of our spouses. Um, We must not look to the perfecting of our spouses to bring us fulfillment. But we must look to the Lord for our fulfillment. He will change us. And satisfy us until he brings the whole show to its glorious conclusion. So that's where I'm going to stop. I raced to get to that point. But remember, seek your fulfillment in him. Not in anyone else, not in anything else. Not the things of this life. It's not the job. It's not anything else but him. And he only can bring the fulfillment that you need. And I'm amazed at how many people are looking for fulfillment outside of God and think that they're going to be able to get that and they won't they won't be able to get that it's one of the things that we talked about and the more you learn to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ the more you're going to learn that what kind of uh, food sounds good right now apple an apple sounds good in the long run an apple's not going to bring fulfillment What was that? A plum. Plums are good, too. But in the long run, a plum is not going to bring fulfillment. We can only find that fulfillment. A tomato? Tomato is fulfilling to some and not to others. I know plenty of people that don't like tomatoes. (laughs) But uh, corn. I thought you would say something like chips or candy or something like that. Candy's good. All right, here we go. Okay, so that's it. That's where we're going to uh, stop the lesson for tonight. Next, next time we will talk about the subject, God had a better idea. You, sp- you talked about Joseph, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. But no matter where Joseph was, it says whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper. So even when he was in Potiphar's house, he was elevated to the very top where Potiphar trusted Joseph with his entire everything. And then you know the story. Potiphar's wife, you know, she had eyes for Joseph. She tried to grab him and, you know, this, understand, this 
took place. You guys remember the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife? He's in there working and she kept making advances toward him and he's like not having it. And one day she's alone with him in the house and she grabs that coat of his and he takes off running. And then she accused him falsely. This was before there was a commandment that said thou shalt not commit adultery. Because Moses had not yet been born. The Ten Commandments were not given. But there was a, it was an age of conscience when there was a thing that God instilled in your heart. And if you had a relationship with the Lord, this was Joseph. And he ended up in, in the prison. And then in prison, the keeper of the prison saw that the blessing of the Lord was with Joseph. And he elevated him to the, as high as he could go. And then he interpreted a couple people's dreams, right? And then they, when they got out, he said, don't forget me. And they forgot him. Until Pharaoh had that dream and what that one that was, that was kept alive, he said, oh yeah, there was a guy down in the jailhouse. Pharaoh brought him out, cleaned him up, and he told him interpretation, and then they made him ruler second in command, basically, to Pharaoh in Egypt. So we don't know what we're going through, why we're going through it. But I pray this prayer, God, whatever you would have me do, wherever you would have me be at, would you make it to prosper? Because I want to be in his will no matter what. If you're in the desert, if God has placed you in the desert, you want to prosper wherever God has placed you. Wherever you're at in your walk with God, you want to learn to prosper. In Romans chapter 12, let's look at verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Has anybody experienced God's mercy? Yes. By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This is a reasonable thing to do since if you'll stop and consider everything he's done for you. And by the way, I'm so glad to see Madison today. I just met Madison. She um, seems very nice. She is seven years old. She's going to be eight in June. Right, Madison? June 15th? Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm glad that you came with Autumn. <laughs> And this says it's your reasonable service. And this is the thing that got my attention when I was a teenager and I was at youth convention and I felt the love of God. I don't know if anyone has experienced this. And I thought to myself, you know what? I made a commitment that day. I said, God, I'm going to live for you no matter what. I realized what he did for me. No matter what, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to be faithful to the house of God. Um, no matter what I'm going through, I might be in the biggest mess of my life. I might be sinning like crazy, but I'm not going to. I, and that commitment, believe it or not, that commitment that I made to the Lord has kept me through some difficult times. Because if we all go through difficult times and we all look back and there's times we want to give up, throw in the towel. And that commitment was just because I saw what he did for me. And the least I could do, the reasonable thing that I could do is right here. Present my body a living sacrifice, holy, 
acceptable unto God. That's, re that's your reasonable service. What can I do considering what he's done for me? I can do this. I can present my body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. And that's the problem. Because it's a living sacrifice. You know, we get up on the altar and then we think, oh man, I'm going to die. So we can want to get off the altar. Right? And then, uh, you know, I know there should be a, a step number two to uh, Jesus take the wheel. There should, be, there should be another song after that because a lot of people say Jesus take the wheel and they give him the wheel and then when Jesus takes over after a while, they're like, I'm not really sure I like where he's taking me. You know what? I feel a little safer now. Here, let me have the wheel back. And that's what a lot of people do with this roller coaster ride. We think we want to make him Lord of our life and we do that and then we think, oh, I'm not sure I want to go there. I think he's going to make me die. <laughs> But here's the thing, the reasonable service and, verse two starts with and, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do you know what the will of God is for your life? That's what I want to talk to you today about, the will of God. I was listening to a message. I was listening to a message yesterday by a very good friend of mine who uh, lives in Southern California. And uh, he was talking about the will of God. And I thought to myself, wow, I don't know how you can tackle that message in 30 minutes. Because his message was about 30 minutes long. And uh, I thought, boy, there's so much when you study the will of God. What is the will of God for your life? We have scripture that tells us what the will of God is. We have certain scriptures. But a lot of time, uh, what, a lot of times what people are thinking of, I want to read a scripture in Joshua chapter 9, verse 7. Look at this verse. This is the book of Joshua chapter 9, verse 7. And it's the story of the Gibeonites. It says, the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. Anyone know the story that's taking place? I know this is right in the middle of the story. Anyone remember the story? Joshua goes in with his army, the children of Israel, into the promised land. They cross over Jordan and they went to, what's the first place, city that they went to? Jericho. And they marched around Jericho. Seven days they were there. And the first six days they marched around once. And then the final day they marched around seven times. And then they gave a shout. And what happened? The walls came crashing down. And they went in and they slaughtered. And they took spoils. And all the spoils went to the house of the Lord. 100% of them. You remember that? Everything they found. All the gold, everything went to the house of the Lord. And there was one guy by the name of, well, one guy who, by the name of Achan who took some of the stuff and hid it for himself. And uh, anyways, that's a whole other story. So Joshua is winning these battles. And there's a city of Gibeon. And they were a pretty mighty city. They had some mighty men in the city. And they were afraid of what was coming. So what they did was they had some 
ambassadors that dressed up in old clothes and they had some, anyone have old clothes with like moth holes and stuff in them? And shoes that were just kind of rusty, falling apart, not rusty, how do you have rusty shoes? You know, shoes that are falling apart, ripped and look really old. Anyone have shoes like that? They took the oldest stuff they could find and they got some bread that was moldy and they got some old cheese and they made this little trip over to Israel and they said, where are you from? They said, oh, we've come from a super far, 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 many, 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 many miles away, far distance. These clothes were brand new when we left. Matter of fact, this bread was fresh out of the oven. And now it's all moldy. So you can see we've come from a long distance. And uh, we've come to make a league with you because we've heard how powerful you guys are. We've heard it from a far distance. And Joshua said, you know, he did, they did not inquire the Lord. This is the verse that we're reading. And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And there's a lot of times we make decisions that sometimes can be devastating decisions. And we don't stop and make it and, and ask the Lord, Lord, would you help me to know what is the decision you would have me to make in this situation? Now, I want to differentiate between that and what the will of God is. I'm gonna call that divine guidance. There's a difference because we have a lot of scriptures that talk about the will of God and we can tell you what the will of God is according to scripture. But a lot of times we need divine guidance for our situation where we're at. How many have quickly made a decision and after time went by, you thought, I probably should not have made that decision. I probably could. have. I mean, all right. So um, I'm 47. So I can say pretty confidently that everyone younger than me, I've made a lot more wrong decisions than you have. <laughs> and the ones that are older than me, you probably made more wrong decisions than me. <laughs> I made some pretty bad decisions in my life and I did not seek God's counsel. Some of the best decisions I've made is when I did seek the Lord and I felt his direction, even though sometimes it wasn't always what I wanted. Sometimes doing it God's way is not what you want. Let's look at another example. This is King David. 1 Samuel chapter 23. David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. And he said to Abiathar the priest, bring hither the ephod. And then said David, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant hath certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me up into his hand? Will Saul come down as thy servant hath heard? O Lord God of Israel, I beseech thee, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. When is the last time that you had a major decision in your life and you sought the Lord for his direction? Seeking God's will. And it may not always be what you want to hear. Well, so there's a lot of scriptures that talk about that. Individuals who will take time to seek the will of God. Now, I, some people will take this so far as to say, okay, God, would you rather have me go to McDonald's or Wendy's today? What's better? 
And I think that's fine. You know, I'm not, I'm not condemning that. But there's nothing in Scripture that says, you know, you have sinned because you went to McDonald's instead of Wendy's, right? We can't pinpoint a verse that says that, right? But maybe God has directed you to Wendy's for a reason. Maybe there's somebody there who, you know, a divine appointment that God has set up for you to meet with. I've had that, those situations happen. Um, getting a flat tire, you know, and being led someplace. I hadn't planned on going that day, but God had set up an appointment. So God does make appointments like that for us sometimes. Um, 1 Chronicles chapter 10, verse 13. It says, So Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not, and also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it. You know what a familiar spirit is? A familiar spirit might be able to tell you some facts about yourself. You might go to that person and they say, oh man, I, they tell all this stuff about you and you're like, how did they know that? I never told anybody. Well, I'm going to tell you, the devil knows everything you've been through. The devil knows and you've seen how you've lived your life. I mean, he doesn't know like God knows, right? He doesn't know your very thought life, but he's, they know what you've been through. They know. And so we got to be careful about where we get our counsel from. Because Saul took counsel of someone that had a familiar spirit. And verse 14 says, and inquired not of the Lord. Therefore, he slew him and turned the kingdom unto David, the son of Jesse. And I've heard of people taking counsel of somebody that was not of God. And I just got to warn you, be careful. Just be very careful. Be very cautious. Be prudent, I should say. Be prudent. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Wisdom is seeing things from God's perspective. He gives to all men liberally, and he upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. He's not going to scold you and make fun of you for asking the question. When I was in high school, my senior year, I was in advanced AP calculus class. And if you raised your hand and asked the teacher a question, he would say, this ain't rocket science, guys. And man, I was afraid to ask a question because I thought I was being mocked. So I didn't ask a question, and therefore, I did not like that class or calculus. Um, these days, I probably would not be as, you know, as prideful to, you know, to not ask the question. I'll just ask the question now. I'll just say, uh, what does this really mean? <laughs> but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a, a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So I want to talk, I'm just talking to you today about the will of God. What is God's will? Anyone know what God's will is? Anyone just taking time to look at the scriptures to see what is the will of God? We have some scriptures. I just, I'm going to read uh, some of them. John 7, 17. 
This one says, if any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. That's important. To do his will. First uh, John chapter two, verse 17. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. How many wants to abide forever? So do the will of God, it says here, right? And then. This is Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 12, verse 48 through 50. But he answered and said unto him that told him, who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my father, which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. Um, so there's a lot of scripture that talk about the importance of the will of God. It's essential for the will of God. And I'm not going to read all of them. I'm skipping through because I'm already running out of time. And I'm only on page four. Out of how many? Out of a lot. Twelve or something. So I'm just going to read some of these uh, verses. Um, here's John chapter six, verse 40. Jesus says, this is the will of him that sent me. That everyone which seeketh the Son, or seeth the Son, sorry, and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's the will of God. Now, here's one that's very specific. This is the one I was trying to get to. First John chapter, or First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. Now look at the defining passage here. This is going to help you see what the will of God is in this particular verse. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. So if you want to know what the will of God is concerning you, start here on this verse and look at every place where it says that. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Let's read verse four. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. And each one of these verses, you could do a Bible study on it. Pretty lengthy one. Next one. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Verse 6. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also have forewarned you and testified. Verse 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Verse 8. He therefore that despiseth, deviseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Verse 9. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write to you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Verse 10. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all. We're going fast. Verse 11. <laughs> and that... There's the next that all the way down to here. Ye study to be quiet. There's some people I'd like to give that verse to. <laughs> you know, you're around them and they're really loud. And they're, always, they're not quiet so much and you want to give them this. Hey, you ought to memorize this verse. So it'll probably be good for you. Now you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. 
And there, you can go through the chapter and look at all the that's. That's the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So when you study the will of God, it's, it's so defined in Scripture. But a lot of us, when we're talking about the will of God, we're thinking about divine guidance. We want direction in certain decision-making areas. Now, if somebody had two decisions or two choices, choice A, choice B, Sister um, Kathy, which choice do we make? Well, we look at the, if we only had two choices, we're going to look at the one that makes Bible sense, makes common sense. Some of these are immediately we can eliminate them right away because it, it conflicts with Scripture. And so a lot of times when I see people, they're like, uh, I don't know whether to do this or this. I go, well, I know you can't do that here because it's specifically in violation of God's word. And so that's what we have to, when I'm talking about seeking the will of God, that's defined for us in scripture, but divine guidance. When is the last time you stopped and prayed for direction in a certain decision in your life? It doesn't even have to be a major big decision. It could be a small decision. When is the last time you just knelt down and prayed? And then somebody might say, God, I don't even know how to pray. We do have that model prayer, don't we? Which says, our Father, it says, after this manner, therefore you pray ye. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. You know, praying for God to have his way in this flesh, just like it's done in heaven. Is anybody willing to pray that prayer? Because God in heaven, he could just say go and they go. He could say come and they come. Uh, and then all the principles that are about prayer there in Matthew chapter 6. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a daily prayer, right? How many today prayed about the food, the sustenance that you were going to have? Probably not many of us, right? Because we got food. We got money in our wallets. Right? We got food um, in the pantry. We, I mean, we can run out to any restaurant right now. But how many actually pray this? And verse 12... Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and so on. Verse 13, lead us not to temptation. This is a prayer I think is very important. God, I want, when it comes to divine guidance, I don't want to be led into temptation. But I want to be delivered from evil. I know that I probably could not make certain situations. So please, guide my steps. Guide my stops. Lead me not to temptation, but deliver me from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right. I want to close uh, right there. The reason why this verse, this message is, um, can be a little bit heavy is because so many people do things their own way. And when I see that, and a lot of times, you know what happens when you do things your own way and then all of a sudden bad things happen. 
And then they come running and they say, man, we, I messed up my life's a wreck. And then immediately I could see some of the things that they did that were wrong, that violated scripture. And I said, the first thing that you want to do, I just had a, met with somebody recently, said the first thing you want to do is start making decisions that don't violate scripture. You want to do what's right. And I said, some of this could be the consequences of that. I don't know. So when is the last time that you sought the Lord in a specific thing, a specific situation? And I was thinking about that on the way to church today because, you know, I think that the Lord wants people to be saved. And I think that I have a call to ministry. And I feel overwhelmed with stuff outside of ministry. And I want to not be overwhelmed with stuff outside of ministry. Because I feel like the will of the Lord is for me to work ministry. But, you know, so I, I, I talked to the Lord about that. What is his will concerning me? And so that's something that we each, every one of us can pray for his direction. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's it. Uh, Sharon's aren't here today, so I'm going to ask Brother Buddy if you would today, if you would uh, pray in closing. And I want to just encourage each and every person this week, seek the Lord. Seek his direction in specific things. But also the will of God passages, which I didn't even touch. There are so many of them that we could go through. Seek the Lord. Seek his will for your life. We haven't talked about it for a while, but we've done some Bible studies on it in the past. But I want to remind everybody of it because we haven't talked about it in a little bit. Amen. Brother Buddy. Amen. And I think that we probably should have the Grange meeting today. Did we talk about it at the Grange meeting? Because I'm getting texts already from you. Chris, I don't remember talking about it in the leaders. You, you talked about Joseph, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. But no matter where Joseph was, it says whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper. So even when he was in Potiphar's house, he was elevated to the very top. Where Potiphar trusted Joseph with his entire everything. And then you know the story. Potiphar's wife. You know, she had eyes for Joseph. She tried to grab him. And, you know, this, understand, this took place. You guys remember the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife? He's in there working and she kept making advances toward him. And he's like, not having it. And one day she's alone with him in the house and she grabs that coat of his and he takes off running. And then she accused him falsely. This was before there was a commandment that said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Because Moses had not yet been born. The Ten Commandments were not given. But there was an, it was an age of conscience. When there was a thing that God instilled in your heart. And if you had a relationship with the Lord. This was Joseph. And he ended up in, in the prison. And then in prison. The keeper of the prison saw that the blessing of the Lord was with Joseph. And he elevated him to the, as high as he could go. And then he interpreted a couple people's dreams, right? 
And then they, when they got out, he said, don't forget me. And they forgot him. Until Pharaoh had that dream and what that one that was, that was kept alive, he said, oh yeah, there was a guy down in the jailhouse. Pharaoh brought him out, cleaned him up, and he told him interpretation, and then they made him ruler second in command, basically, to Pharaoh in Egypt. So we don't know what we're going through, why we're going through it. But I pray this prayer, God, whatever you would have me do, wherever you would have me be at, would you make it to prosper? Because I want to be in his will, no matter what. If you're in the desert, if God has placed you in the desert, you want to prosper wherever God has placed you. Wherever you're at in your walk with God, you want to learn to prosper. In Romans chapter 12, let's look at verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Has anybody experienced God's mercy? Yes. By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This is a reasonable thing to do since if you'll stop and consider everything he's done for you. And by the way, I'm so glad to see Madison today. I just met Madison. She um, seems very nice. She is seven years old. She's going to be eight in June. Right, Madison? June 15th? Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm glad that you came with Autumn. <laughs> And this says it's your reasonable service. And this is the thing that got my attention when I was a teenager and I was at youth convention and I felt the love of God. I don't know if anyone has experienced this. And I thought to myself, you know what? I made a commitment that day. I said, God, I'm going to live for you no matter what. I realized what he did for me. No matter what, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to be faithful to the house of God. Um, no matter what I'm going through, I might be in the biggest mess of my life. I might be sinning like crazy, but I'm not going to. I, and that commitment, believe it or not, that commitment that I made to the Lord has kept me through some difficult times. Because if we all go through difficult times and we all look back and there's times we want to give up, throw in the towel. And that commitment was just because I saw what he did for me. And the least I could do, the reasonable thing that I could do is right here. Present my body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. That's, re that's your reasonable service. What can I do considering what he's done for me? I can do this. I can present my body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. And that's the problem. Because it's a living sacrifice. You know, we get up on the altar and then we think, oh man, I'm going to die. So we want to get off the altar, right? And then, uh, you know, I know there should be a, a step number two to uh, Jesus take the wheel. There should, be, there should be another song after that because a lot of people say Jesus take the wheel and they give him the wheel. And then when Jesus takes over after a while, they're like, I'm not really sure I like where he's taking me. You know what? I feel a little safer now. Here, let me have the wheel back. 
And that's what a lot of people do with this roller coaster ride. We think we want to make him Lord of our life, and we do that, and then we think, oh, I'm not sure I want to go there. I think he's going to make me die. <laughs> but here's the thing the reasonable service and, verse 2 starts with and, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. How do you know what the will of God is for your life? That's what I want to talk to you today about, the will of God. I was listening to a message. I was listening to a message yesterday by a very good friend of mine who uh, lives in Southern California. And uh, he was talking about the will of God. And I thought to myself, Wow, I don't know how you can tackle that message in 30 minutes. Because his message was about 30 minutes long. And uh, I thought, boy, there's so much when you study the will of God. What is the will of God for your life? We have scripture that tells us what the will of God is. We have certain scriptures. But a lot of time... Uh, what, a lot of times what people are thinking of, I want to read a scripture in Joshua chapter 9, verse 7. Look at this verse. This is the book of Joshua chapter 9, verse 7, and it's the story of the Gibeonites. It says, the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. Anyone know the story that's taking place? I know this is right in the middle of the story. Anyone remember the story? Joshua goes in with his army, the children of Israel, into the promised land. They cross over Jordan. And they went to, what's the first place, city that they went to? Jericho. And they marched around Jericho. Seven days they were there. And the first six days they marched around once. And then the final day they marched around seven times. And then they gave a shout. And what happened? The walls came crashing down. And they went in and they slaughtered and they took spoils. And all the spoils went to the house of the Lord. 100% of them. You remember that? Everything they found, all the gold, everything, went to the house of the Lord. And there was one guy by the name of, well, one guy who, by the name of Achan who took some of the stuff and hid it for himself. And uh, anyways, that's a whole other story. So Joshua is winning these battles. And there's a city of Gibeon, and they were a pretty mighty city. They had some mighty men in the city, and they were afraid of what was coming. So what they did was they had some ambassadors that dressed up in old clothes, and they had some, anyone have old clothes with like moth holes and stuff in them? And shoes that were just kind of rusty, falling apart, not rusty, how do you have rusty shoes? You know, shoes that are falling apart, ripped, and look really old. Anyone have shoes like that? They took the oldest stuff they could find and they got some bread that was moldy and they got some old cheese and they made this little trip over to Israel. And they said, where are you from? They said, oh, we've come from a super far, 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 many, 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 many miles away, far distance. These clothes were brand new when we left. Matter of fact, this bread was fresh out of the oven. And now it's all moldy. So you can see we've come from a long distance and, uh, We've come to make a league with you because we've heard how powerful you guys are. We've heard it from a 
far distance. And Joshua said, you know, he did, they did not inquire the Lord. This is the verse that we're reading. And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And there's a lot of times we make decisions that sometimes can be devastating decisions. And we don't stop and make it and, and ask the Lord, Lord, would you help me to know what is the decision you would have me to make in this situation? Now, I want to differentiate between that and what the will of God is. I want to call that divine guidance. There's a difference because we have a lot of scriptures that talk about the will of God. And we can tell you what the will of God is according to scripture. But a lot of times we need divine guidance for our situation where we're at. How many have quickly made a decision and after time went by you thought, I probably should not have made that decision. I probably could have. I mean, all right, so um, I'm 47. So I can say pretty confidently that everyone younger than me, I've made a lot more wrong decisions than you have. And the ones that are older than me, you probably made more wrong decisions than me. <laughs> I made some pretty bad decisions in my life. And I did not seek God's counsel. Some of the best decisions I've made is when I did seek the Lord. And I felt His direction, even though sometimes it wasn't always what I wanted. Sometimes doing it God's way is not what you want. Let's look at another example. This is King David. 1 Samuel chapter 23, David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. And he said to Abiathar the priest, bring hither the ephod. And then said David, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant hath certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me up into his hand? Will Saul come down as thy servant hath heard? O Lord God of Israel, I beseech thee, Tell thy servant, and the Lord said he will come down. When is the last time that you had a major decision in your life and you sought the Lord for his direction? Seeking God's will. And it may not always be what you want to hear. So there's a lot of scriptures that talk about that. Individuals who will take time to seek the will of God. Now I, some people will take this so far as to say, okay God, would you rather have me go to McDonald's or Wendy's today? What's better? And I think that's fine. You know, I'm not, I'm not condemning that. But there's nothing in scripture that says, you know, you have sinned because you went to McDonald's instead of Wendy's. Right? We can't pinpoint a verse that says that, right? But maybe God has directed you to Wendy's for a reason. Maybe there's somebody there who, you know, a divine appointment that God has set up for you to meet with. I've had that, those situations happen. Um, getting a flat tire, you know, and being led someplace. I hadn't planned on going that day, but God had set up an appointment. So God does make appointments like that for us sometimes. Um, First Chronicles chapter 10, verse 13. 
It says, so Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not. And also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it. You know what a familiar spirit is? A familiar spirit might be able to tell you some facts about yourself. You might go to that person and they say, oh man, I, they tell all this stuff about you. And you're like, how do they know that? I never told anybody. Well, I'm going to tell you, the devil knows everything you've been through. The devil knows and you've seen how you've lived your life. I mean, he doesn't know like God knows, right? He doesn't know your very thought life, but he's, they know what you've been through. They know. And so we got to be careful about where we get our counsel from. Because Saul took counsel of someone that had a familiar spirit. And verse 14 says, and inquired not of the Lord. Therefore, he slew him and turned the kingdom unto David, the son of Jesse. And I've heard of people taking counsel of somebody that was not of God. And I just got to warn you, be careful. Just be very careful. Be very cautious. Be prudent, I should say. Be prudent. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, As If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Wisdom is seeing things from God's perspective. He gives to all men liberally, and he upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. He's not going to scold you and make fun of you for asking the question. When I was in high school, my senior year, I was in advanced AP calculus class. And if you raised your hand and asked the teacher a question, he would say, this ain't rocket science, guys. And man, I was afraid to ask a question because I thought I was being mocked. So I didn't ask a question and therefore I did not like that class or calculus. Um, these days, I probably would not be as, you know, as prideful to, you know, to not ask the question. I'll just ask the question now. I'll just say, uh, what does this really mean? <laughs> but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a, a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So I want to talk, I'm just talking to you today about the will of God. What is God's will? Anyone know what God's will is? Anyone just taking time to look at the scriptures to see what is the will of God? We have some scriptures. I just, I'm going to read uh, some of them. John 7, 17. This one says, If any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. That's important. To do his will. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 17. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. How many wants to abide forever? So do the will of God, it says here, right? And then... This is Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 12, verse 48 through 50. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? 
And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. Um, so there's a lot of scripture that talk about the importance of the will of God. It's essential for the will of God. And I'm not going to read all of them. I'm skipping through because I'm already running out of time. And I'm only on page four. Out of how many? Out of a lot. Twelve or something. So I'm just going to read some of these uh, verses. Um, here's John chapter 6 verse 40. Jesus says, this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeketh the Son, or seeth the Son, sorry, and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. That's the will of God. Now, Here's one that's very specific. This is the one I was trying to get to. First John chapter, or First Thessalonians chapter four, verse three. Now look at the defining passage here. This is going to help you see what the will of God is in this particular verse. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. So if you want to know what the will of God is concerning you, start here on this verse and look at every place where it says that. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Let's read verse four. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. And each one of these verses... You could do a Bible study on it. Pretty lengthy one. Next one. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Verse 6. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. Verse 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Verse 8. He therefore that despiseth despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Verse 9. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write to you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Verse 10. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all. We're going fast. Verse 11. <laughs> and that. There's the next that. All the way down to here. Ye study to be quiet. There's some people I'd like to give that verse to. <laughs> Oh, you're around them and they're really loud. They're, always, they're not quiet so much and you want to give them this. Hey, you ought to memorize this verse. So it'll probably be good for you. Now you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. And there, you can go through the chapter and look at all the that's. That's the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So when you study the will of God, it's, it's so defined in Scripture. But a lot of us, when we're talking about the will of God, we're thinking about divine guidance. We want direction in certain decision-making areas. Now, if somebody had two decisions or two choices, choice A, choice B, Sister um, Kathy, which choice do we make? Well, we look at the, if we only had two choices, we're going to look at the one that makes Bible sense. Makes common sense. Some of these are 
immediately we can eliminate them right away because it, it conflicts with scripture. And so a lot of times when I see people, they're like, oh, I don't know whether to do this or this. I go, well, I know you can't do that here because it's specifically in violation of God's word. And so that's what we have to, when I'm talking about seeking the will of God, that's defined for us in scripture, but divine guidance. When is the last time you stopped and prayed for direction in a certain decision in your life? It doesn't even have to be a major big decision. It could be a small decision. When is the last time you just knelt down and prayed? And then somebody might say, God, I don't even know how to pray. We do have that model prayer, don't we? Which says, our Father, it says, after this manner, therefore you pray ye, Matthew chapter six, verse nine. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father, Chart in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. You know, praying for God to have his way in this flesh, just like it's done in heaven. Is anybody willing to pray that prayer? Because God in heaven, he could just say go and they go. He could say come and they come. Uh, and then all the principles that are about prayer there in Matthew chapter 6. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a daily prayer, right? How many today pray about the food, the sustenance that you're going to have? Probably not many of us, right? Because we got food. We got money in our wallets. Right? We got food um, in the pantry. We, I mean, we can run out to any restaurant right now, but how many actually pray this? And verse 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and so on. Verse 13, lead us not to temptation. This is a prayer I think is very important. God, I want, when it comes to divine guidance, I don't want to be led into temptation, but I want to be delivered from evil. I know that I probably could not make certain situations. So please, guide my steps. Guide my stops. Lead me not to temptation, but deliver me from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right. I want to close uh, right there. The reason why this verse, this message, is um, can be a little bit heavy is because so many people do things their own way. And when I see that, and a lot of times, you know what happens when you do things your own way and then all of a sudden bad things happen. And then they come running and they say, man, we, I messed up my life's a wreck. And then immediately I could see some of the things that they did that were wrong, that violated scripture. I said, the first thing that you wanna do, I just had a, met with somebody recently, said the first thing you wanna do is start making decisions that don't violate scripture. You wanna do what's right. And I said, some of this could be the consequences of that. I don't know. So when is the last time that you sought the Lord in a specific thing, a specific situation? And I was thinking about that on the way to church today because, you know, I think that the Lord wants people to be saved. 
And I think that I have a call to ministry. And I feel overwhelmed with stuff outside of ministry. And I want to not be overwhelmed with stuff outside of ministry. Because I feel like the will of the Lord is for me to work ministry. But, you know, so I, I, I talked to the Lord about that. What is his will concerning me? And so that's something that we each, every one of us can pray for his direction. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's it. Uh, Sharon's aren't here today, so I'm going to ask Brother Buddy if you would today, if you would uh, pray in closing. And I want to just encourage each and every person this week, seek the Lord. Seek his direction in specific things. But also the will of God passages, which I didn't even touch. There are so many of them that we could go through. Seek the Lord. Seek his will for your life. We haven't talked about it for a while, but we've done some Bible studies on it in the past. But I want to remind everybody of it because we haven't talked about it in a little bit. Amen. Brother Buddy. Amen. And I think that we probably should have the Grange meeting today. Did we talk about it at the Grange meeting? Because I'm getting texts already from Chris. I don't remember talking about it in the leaders. You, you talked about Joseph, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. But no matter where Joseph was, it says whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper. So even when he was in Potiphar's house, he was elevated to the very top where Potiphar trusted Joseph with his entire everything. And then you know the story. Potiphar's wife, you know, she had eyes for Joseph. She tried to grab him and, you know, this, understand, this took place. You guys remember the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife? He's in there working and she kept making advances toward him and he's like not having it. And one day she's alone with him in the house and she grabs that coat of his and he takes off running. And then she accused him falsely. This was before there was a commandment that said thou shalt not commit adultery. Because Moses had not yet been born. The Ten Commandments were not given. But there was an, it was an age of conscience. When there was a thing that God instilled in your heart. And if you had a relationship with the Lord. This was Joseph. And he ended up in, in the prison. And then in prison, the keeper of the prison saw that the blessing of the Lord was with Joseph. And he elevated him to the, as high as he could go. And then he interpreted a couple people's dreams, right? And then they, when they got out, he said, don't forget me. And they forgot him. Until Pharaoh had that dream and what that one that was, that was kept alive, he said, oh yeah, there was a guy down in the jailhouse. Pharaoh brought him out, cleaned him up, and he told him interpretation, and then they made him ruler second in command, basically, to Pharaoh in Egypt. So we don't know what we're going through, why we're going through it. But I pray this prayer, God, whatever you would have me do, wherever you would have me be at, would you make it to prosper? Because I want to be in his will, no matter what. If you're in the desert, if God has placed you in the desert, you want to prosper wherever God has placed you.
Wherever you're at in your walk with God, you want to learn to prosper. In Romans chapter 12, let's look at verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Has anybody experienced God's mercy? Yes. yes. By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This is a reasonable thing to do since if you'll stop and consider everything he's done for you. And by the way, I'm so glad to see Madison today. I just met Madison. She um, seems very nice. She is seven years old. She's going to be eight in June. Right, Madison? June 15th? Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm glad that you came with Autumn. <laughs> and this says it's your reasonable service. And this is the thing that got my attention when I was a teenager. And I was at youth convention and I felt the love of God. I don't know if anyone has experienced this. And I thought to myself, you know what? I made a commitment that day. I said, God, I'm going to live for you no matter what. I realized what he did for me. No matter what, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to be faithful to the house of God. Um, no matter what I'm going through, I might be in the biggest mess of my life. I might be sinning like crazy. But I'm not going to, I, and that commitment, believe it or not, that commitment that I made to the Lord has kept me through some difficult times. Because if we all go through difficult times, and we all look back and there's times we want to give up, throw in the towel. And that commitment was just because I saw what he did for me. And the least I could do, the reasonable thing that I could do is right here. Present my body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. That's, re that's your reasonable service. What can I do considering what he's done for me? I can do this. I can present my body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. And that's the problem. Because it's a living sacrifice. You know, we get up on the altar... And then we think, oh, man, I'm going to die. So we want to get off the altar. Right? And then, uh, you know, I know there should be a, a step number two to uh, Jesus take the wheel. There should, be, there should be another song after that. Because a lot of people say, Jesus, take the wheel. And they give him the wheel. And then when Jesus takes over after a while, they're like, I'm not really sure I like where he's taking me. You know what? I feel a little safer now. Here, let me have the wheel back. And that's what a lot of people do with this roller coaster ride. We think we want to make him Lord of our life, and we do that, and then we think, oh, I'm not sure I want to go there. I think he's going to make me die. <laughs> but here's the thing the reasonable service, and verse 2 starts with and. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. How do you know what the will of God is for your life? That's what I want to talk to you today about, the will of God. I was listening to a message. I was listening to a message yesterday 
by a very good friend of mine who uh, lives in Southern California. And uh, he was talking about the will of God. And I thought to myself, wow, I don't know how you can tackle that message in 30 minutes. Because his message was about 30 minutes long. And uh, I thought, boy, there's so much when you study the will of God. What is the will of God for your life? We have scripture that tells us what the will of God is. We have certain scriptures. But a lot of time, uh, what, a lot of times what people are thinking of, I want to read a scripture in Joshua chapter 9, verse 7. Look at this verse. This is the book of Joshua chapter 9, verse 7. And it's the story of the Gibeonites. It says, the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. Anyone know the story that's taking place? I know this is right in the middle of the story. Anyone remember the story? Joshua goes in with his army, children of Israel, into the promised land. They cross over Jordan and they went to, what's the first place city that they went to? Jericho. And they marched around Jericho. Seven days they were there. And the first six days they marched around once. And then the final day they marched around seven times. And then they gave a shout. And what happened? The walls came crashing down. And they went in and they slaughtered and they took spoils. And all the spoils went to the house of the Lord. 100% of them. You remember that? Everything they found, all the gold, everything went to the house of the Lord. And there was one guy by the name of, well, one guy who, by the name of Achan who took some of the stuff and hid it for himself. And uh, anyways, that's a whole other story. So Joshua is winning these battles. And there's a city of Gibeon. And they were a pretty mighty city. They had some mighty men in the city. And they were afraid of what was coming. So what they did was they had some ambassadors that dressed up in old clothes. And they had some... Anyone have old clothes with like moth holes and stuff in them? And shoes that were just kind of rusty, falling apart. Not rusty. How do you have rusty shoes? You know, shoes that are falling apart, ripped, and look really old. Anyone have shoes like that? They took the oldest stuff they could find. And they got some bread that was moldy. And they got some old cheese. And they made this little trip over to Israel. And they said... Where are you from? They said, oh, we've come from a super far, 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 many, 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 many miles away, far distance. These clothes were brand new when we left. Matter of fact, this bread was fresh out of the oven. And now it's all moldy. So you can see we've come from a long distance. And uh, we've come to make a league with you because we've heard how powerful you guys are. We've heard it from a far distance. And Joshua said, you know. He did, they did not inquire the Lord. This is the verse that we're reading. And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And there's a lot of times we make decisions that sometimes can be devastating decisions. And we don't stop and, make it and, and ask the Lord, Lord, would you help me to know what is the decision you would have me to make in this situation? Now, I want to differentiate between that and what the will of God is. I want to call that divine guidance. There's a difference because we have a lot of scriptures that talk about the will of God. 
And we can tell you what the will of God is according to scripture. But a lot of times we need divine guidance for our situation where we're at. How many have quickly made a decision and after time went by, you thought, I probably should not have made that decision. I probably could have. I mean, all right. So um, I'm 47. So I can say pretty confidently that everyone younger than me, I've made a lot more wrong decisions than you have. <laughs> and the ones that are older than me, you probably made more wrong decisions than me. <laughs> I made some pretty bad decisions in my life. And I did not seek God's counsel. Some of the best decisions I've made is when I did seek the Lord and I felt his direction, even though sometimes it wasn't always what I wanted. Sometimes doing it God's way is not what you want. Let's look at another example. This is King David. First Samuel chapter 23. David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. And he said to Abiathar the priest, bring hither the ephod. And then said David, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant hath certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me up into his hand? Will Saul come down as thy servant hath heard? O Lord God of Israel, I beseech thee, tell thy servant. And the Lord said he will come down. When is the last time that you had a major decision in your life and you sought the Lord for his direction? Seeking God's will. And it may not always be what you want to hear. Well, so there's a lot of scriptures that talk about that. Individuals who will take time to seek the will of God. Now, I, some people will take this so far as to say, okay, God, would you rather have me go to McDonald's or Wendy's today? What's better? And I think that's fine. You know, I'm not, I'm not condemning that. But there's nothing in scripture that says, you know, you have sinned because you went to McDonald's instead of Wendy's. Right? We can't pinpoint a verse that says that, right? But maybe God has directed you to Wendy's for a reason. Maybe there's somebody there who, you know, a divine appointment that God has set up for you to meet with. I've had that, those situations happen. Uh, getting a flat tire, you know, and being led someplace. I hadn't planned on going that day, but God had set up an appointment. So God does make appointments like that for us sometimes. Um, First Chronicles chapter 10, verse 13. It says, so Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not. And also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it. You know what a familiar spirit is? A familiar spirit might be able to tell you some facts about yourself. You might go to that person and they say, oh man, I, they tell all this stuff about you. And you're like, how do they know that? I never told anybody. Well, I'm going to tell you, the devil knows everything you've been through. The devil knows and you've seen how you've lived your life. I mean, he doesn't know like God knows, right? He doesn't know your very thought life, but he's... They know what you've been through. They know. 
And so we got to be careful about where we get our counsel from. Because Saul took counsel of someone that had a familiar spirit. And verse 14 says, and inquired not of the Lord. Therefore, he slew him and turned the kingdom unto David, the son of Jesse. And I've heard of people taking counsel of somebody that was not of God. And I just got to warn you, be careful. Just be very careful. Be very cautious. Be prudent, I should say. Be prudent. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Wisdom is seeing things from God's perspective. He gives to all men liberally, and he upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. He's not going to scold you and make fun of you for asking the question. When I was in high school, my senior year, I was in advanced AP calculus class. And if you raised your hand and asked the teacher a question, he would say, this ain't rocket science, guys. And man, I was afraid to ask a question because I thought I was being mocked. So I didn't ask a question, and therefore, I did not like that class or calculus. Um, these days, I probably would not be as, you know, as prideful to, you know, to not ask the question. I'll just ask the question now. I'll just say, uh, what does this really mean? <laughs> But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So I want to talk, I'm just talking to you today about the will of God. What is God's will? Anyone know what God's will is? Anyone just taking time to look at the scriptures to see what is the will of God? We have some scriptures. I just, I'm going to read uh, some of them. John 7, 17. This one says, If any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. That's important. To do his will. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 17. And the world passeth away. And the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. How many wants to abide forever? So do the will of God, it says here, right? And then. This is Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 12, verse 48 through 50. But he answered and said unto him that told him, who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my father, which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. Uh, so there's a lot of scripture that talk about the importance of the will of God. It's essential for the will of God. And I'm not going to read all of them. I'm skipping through because I'm already running out of time. And I'm only on page four. Out of how many? Out of a lot. 12 or something. So I'm just going to read some of these uh, verses. Um, here's John chapter 6, verse 40. Jesus says, This is the will of him that sent me, 
that everyone which seeketh the Son, or seeth the Son, sorry, and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's the will of God. Now, here's one that's very specific. This is the one I was trying to get to. First John chapter, or First Thessalonians chapter four, verse three. Now look at the defining passage here. This is going to help you see what the will of God is in this particular verse. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. So if you want to know what the will of God is concerning you, start here on this verse and look at every place where it says that. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Let's read verse 4. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. And each one of these verses, you could do a Bible study on it. Pretty lengthy one. Next one. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Verse 6. That... No man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also have forewarned you and testified. Verse 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Verse 8. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Verse 9. But as touching brotherly love, ye need thought that I write to you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Verse 10. And indeed, you do it toward all the brethren, which are in all. We're going fast. Verse 11. <laughs> and that. There's the next that all the way down to here. Ye study to be quiet. There's some people I'd like to give that verse to. <laughs> you know, you're around them and they're really loud. They're, always, they're not quiet so much. And you want to give them this. Hey, you ought to memorize this verse. So it'll probably be good for you. That you study to be quiet and to do your own business. And to work with your own hands as we commanded you. And there, you can go through the chapter and look at all the that's. That's the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So when you study the will of God, it's, it's so defined in scripture. But a lot of us, when we're talking about the will of God, we're thinking about divine guidance. We want direction in certain decision-making areas. Now, if somebody had two decisions or two choices, choice A, choice B. Sister um, Kathy, which choice do we make? Well, we look at the, if we only had two choices, we're going to look at the one that makes Bible sense, makes common sense. Some of these are immediately, we can eliminate them right away because it, it conflicts with scripture. And so a lot of times when I see people, they're like, oh, I don't know whether to do this or this. I go, well, I know you can't do that here because it's specifically in violation of God's word. And so that's what we have to, when I'm talking about seeking the will of God, that's defined for us in scripture, but divine guidance. When is the last time you stopped and prayed for direction in a certain decision in your life? It doesn't even have to be a major big decision. It could be a small decision. When is the last time you just knelt down and prayed? 
And then somebody might say, God, I don't even know how to pray. We do have that model prayer, don't we? Which says, our Father. It says, after this manner, therefore, you pray ye. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. You know, praying for God to have his way in this flesh, just like it's done in heaven. Is anybody willing to pray that prayer? Because God in heaven, he could just say go and they go. He could say come and they come. Uh, and then all the principles that are about prayer there in Matthew chapter 6. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a daily prayer, right? How many today prayed about the food, the sustenance that you were going to have? Probably not many of us, right? Because we got food. We got money in our wallets. Right? We got food um, in the pantry. We, I mean, we can run out to any restaurant right now. But how many actually pray this? And verse 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and so on. Verse 13, lead us not to temptation. This is a prayer I think is very important. God, I want, when it comes to divine guidance, I don't want to be led into temptation. But I want to be delivered from evil. I know that I probably could not make certain situations. So please, guide my steps. Guide my stops. Lead me not to temptation, but deliver me from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right. I want to close uh, right there. The reason why this verse, this message, is um, can be a little bit heavy is because so many people do things their own way. And when I see that, and a lot of times, you know what happens when you do things your own way and then all of a sudden bad things happen. And then they come running and they say, man, we, I messed up my life's a wreck. And then immediately I could see some of the things that they did that were wrong, that violated scripture. I said, the first thing that you want to do, I just had a, met with somebody recently, said the first thing you want to do is start making decisions that don't violate scripture. You want to do what's right. And I said, some of this could be the consequences of that. I don't know. So when is the last time that you sought the Lord in a specific thing, a specific situation? And I was thinking about that on the way to church today because, you know, I think that the Lord wants people to be saved. And I think that I have a call to ministry and I feel overwhelmed with stuff outside of ministry. And I want to not be overwhelmed with stuff outside of ministry. Because I feel like the will of the Lord is for me to work ministry. But, you know, so I, I, I talked to the Lord about that. What is his will concerning me? And so that's something that we each, can, every one of us can pray for his direction. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's it. Sharon's uh, aren't here today, so I'm going to ask Brother Buddy if you would today, if you would uh, pray.
pray in closing. And I want to just encourage each and every person this week, seek the Lord. Seek his direction in specific things. But also the will of God passages, which I didn't even touch. There are so many of them that we could go through. Seek the Lord. Seek his will for your life. We haven't talked about it for a while, but we've done some Bible studies on it in the past. But I want to remind everybody of it because we haven't talked about it in a little bit. Amen. Brother Buddy. Amen. And I think that we probably should have the Grange meeting today. Did we talk about it at the Grange meeting? Because I'm getting texts already from Chris. I don't remember talking about it in the leaders. 